Welcome to the Well Community Church, helping people take their next step toward Jesus together. Man, oh, that worship, that stirred something in me. And it's just so timely as we wrap up our series on Live Like It Matters, and we're talking about how to keep it once you have it. Because so far we've looked at how it will change your life, how it will change your home, it will change the church, and it will change the world. But that's as long as we have it. So how do we get it? How do we keep it once we have it? And for those wondering what I mean when I say it, I'm talking about that powerful life-changing force that I would guess most of us have felt and experienced over our lifetime in our relationship with God. It's those moments of closeness with Jesus where everywhere you go, like you just feel his presence. He's talking to you. It's like you're doing life side by side. And, or it's those moments where you've just been so close with God and then you walk into a church and there's just something about it and the pastor's talking about exactly what you've been talking to God about and the scripture's the same and it's just all sinking and you're like, how is this possible? It's like this service was designed solely for me. Or sometimes you might even see it in others. And there's these people that you just encounter that have something different about them. This joy, a gentleness, a radical generosity, an unwavering hope, sometimes even extreme forgiveness. And you're like, how is that even possible? But you want it. Have you been there? Have you had it? And have you lost it? Do you want it back? I've been on both sides of the equation, and I feel like I'm getting it back on track. I've shared stories with you before where my prayer life was just something that I thought would never go away. I had this closeness with Jesus, and I'm like, this can never be taken from me. And a month later, after tragedy struck, and there were suicides and accidental deaths, and and I was there with my wife's grandma at her passing, that my prayer life just drifted away. I thought I had it, and it was gone. I've also given up everything to follow Jesus. I had bought a house back in 2006, which I somewhat regret selling now, but that's a different story. (laughs) But I ended up selling everything, giving it all away, because I felt the call into ministry and to follow Jesus, but then I've fallen into ruts where then again, I'm doing it on my own strength. I knew what it was like to give it all up and say, I'm I'm following you, Jesus. But I also know what it's like to be like, okay, I'm gonna take some of those things back. But here's the truth. If you want it, if you really wanna get it back, you have to be prepared to do some hard work. It's not going to be easy. You have to want it. So I want you to take a moment right now and ask yourself this. On a scale from 1 to 10, where would you rank your passion for Jesus and his mission? I read this question in Craig Rochelle's book, Lead Like It Matters, where I've massaged some of this material and put the series together. And he asked that. And my honest response, as I said, I'm, I'm moving towards getting things back on track. My honest response was, I think I'm at an eight. But then he said this, that just wrecked me. 
If you rank yourself lower than a 10, that's probably a strong indication of why you don't have it or are not likely to keep it. Whew. Be warned. It's extremely challenging to be objective. It's hard to see complacency in a mirror. The most natural thing for us to do is drift toward comfort. And rarely do we end up sacrificing for a cause bigger than ourselves by accident. We have to fight hard against the natural flow toward comfort. Because if we don't, we'll likely sacrifice the mission for selfish pursuits. When Jesus called people to follow him, he didn't say, come and give me a solid six out of ten. Come give me an eight. I'll take what I can get. No, Jesus called people to carry a cross and give up their lives. He asked for nothing less than a ten. And those who said yes left everything to follow Jesus. He didn't invite them to a mission of comfort. He never taught the five steps to a happier life. He was bold and uncompromising in his mission. He came to save and to seek the lost, to serve and not be served. He didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. He didn't come for the righteous, but for the sinner. He came full of grace and truth. He came to set captives free. And Jesus and his mission to seek and to save the lost has to stay front and center if we want it and if we want our church to have it, and if we're going to transform our world, it needs to burn within us until the fire spreads to everyone close by. So if you recognize that you've lost some of the passion this morning, let's work to get it back. So turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. If you're using the, the red Bibles located in the seats in front of you, the page number is 1914. And as you're turning there, let me just say that the Apostle Paul started this well-known church in Ephesus. In many ways, this church had it. Years later, John, who helped oversee this church after Paul, recorded a message from Jesus to the Ephesian church in Revelation 2, verses 4 to 5. I'm actually going to start in verse 2. This is what Jesus says. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate evil people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. When Jesus was correcting the believers in Ephesus, he said, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And Jesus might be saying something similar to you this morning. You didn't lose it, but you left it. Without meaning to, you left your first love. Sometimes in doing church and the work of God, 
it can sometimes destroy the work of God in us. We get so focused on what we're doing for God that we forget to simply be with him. Jesus continued his loving rebuke and said, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Friends, maybe it's time to go back to the basics. Remember why you fell in love with Jesus in the first place. Remember your salvation, the thrill of knowing that your sins are forgiven. Remember the joy of seeing someone else meet Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit, changed by grace and overwhelmed with hope. Remember the first time that God used you. Remember when all you dreamed and prayed about was being used by God and the church. But now take a moment to grieve because you're complaining about the very thing you used to dream about. Repent and do the things you did at first. Church, I have to ask, have you lost your first love? Have things stopped being about God and become about you? If we want our kids, our family, our friends, our coworkers, everyone around us to discover it, we have to have it. Have you ever witnessed or perhaps you've even experienced a new believer becoming alive in Christ? Like, I mean, they're unreasonably excited about Christ and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. They think God's always speaking to them and it's likely he often is. They see everything as spiritual. There's this new lens and filter they have and they're probably right. They believe Jesus might actually return soon and he very well could but everything they do is focused on him. They have it until a more mature or seasoned believer decides to help them grow up. They say, oh, it's just a phase. You'll grow out of this. It will wear off. Maybe they even share about how Moses experienced God's presence and his face glowed, but that too faded away. You see, something similar often happens to pastors and ministers too. We surrender our lives to full-time ministry and we dream of devoting ourselves to glorifying God, to serving his people. We dream of changing the world. But then over time, we lose focus. Perhaps the dream becomes about us or we focus on becoming more polished than authentic or we focus on performance rather than on God's power. We read scripture for our sermons rather than for ourselves. We get caught up in trying to keep people happy rather than making God happy. And what was once this beautiful thing has turned ugly. And the scariest part is that no one usually notices outwardly what starts happening inwardly because we work hard to appear spiritual. And I believe this doesn't apply just to pastors. This is to all of us. We come in and we put on the facade of this is what a Christian should look like. But Jesus came for sinners. He came for the sick. Why are we pretending like we're healthy? Over time, we slowly abandon our first love and we try to produce a version of spirituality in our own strength. This is what it looks like. This is what I've got to do. And it's difficult to describe, but while doing the work of God, we can wander away from God. 
And when this happens, we begin looking for it in all the wrong places. And if you're not careful, you miss the subtlety of what happens. Because you see, in the beginning, you have limited resources. You're kind of establishing yourself. And God is all you have. God is all you need. He's the answer to all of your problems. But then, as we start establishing ourselves in life, career, education, we start gaining resources. We start thinking we need the resources, and they become the answer to all of our problems. And without realizing it, we start thinking, well, if we don't have it, we can work for it, buy it, or create it. But along the way, we lose our focus on the one who it was all about. What we really need is more of what we left behind, a raw passion for God and for people. I know a few weeks ago, I even mentioned about churches can have it with the old school overhead projector with the transparencies. And when I was uh, setting up yesterday, I was up in the upstairs room and they actually have one up there. I was tempted to bring it out this morning and do like the old school slides. Because what we need isn't all the equipment and fancy chairs and lights and technology. We need Jesus. We need a raw passion for God. So how do we get it back? Well, first, you have to admit that you've lost it. And this is hard. You have to admit that Jesus is not at the center of your life, that he's not the number one priority. And why this is so hard is because it's easy to kind of add Jesus as a tag along. Like when I was being challenged to give up all of my stuff, I had actually tuned in and, and watched an online service. And a pastor was talking about fasting. And he said, what can you give up for God? And I said, I can give up anything for God. Because God's not going to ask me to give up anything. Well then, a few months later, God asked me to give up everything. And I thought, oh boy, that's a lot different. We have to admit when Jesus is not our number one priority. And you might simply start with the confession that, God, I've lost it. I've taken my eyes off the prize. I've, I've been distracted from a wholehearted pursuit of you. Is it possible that you've allowed some sin into your life? Neglected some basic spiritual disciplines? Or you gave and gave and gave and then you forgot how to receive from others? Or perhaps you've been hurt by someone close to you and as a result you've walled up. Or you've offered your best, but it still didn't feel like your best was good enough. Whatever the situation, if you had it and lost it, admit it. And then decide to get it back. Like I said at the beginning, it's going to require hard work. Some small adjustment isn't likely to bring it back. If all you needed was a small tweak, you would have done that a long time ago. I'm guessing if you've lost it, your intimacy with Christ, it will take a significant change of direction and priorities. And if you think you found a quick fix, I guarantee it's not a fix at all. We have to decide to get it back and be faithful day in and day out. One of the Bible heroes of faithfulness is Daniel. You know the story of Daniel and the 
the lion's den? Well, this guy was able to stand down hungry lions and live a holy life in a culture that demanded he leave it behind. And how did he do this? Well, we get an insight in Daniel 6. Daniel learns that the king has decreed that anyone who prays to God will be executed. So what does he do in response? Well, in Daniel 6, verse 10, it says, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. And did you notice that? You probably noticed Daniel's courage in praying when he knew it could lead to his death. But did you notice? It said Daniel prayed just as he had always done. He wasn't faithful because he had set a goal of being faithful. Everyone sets out wanting to be faithful. Daniel was faithful because he had disciplined himself to be faithful. His discipline was praying three times a day toward Jerusalem, window open, giving thanks to God. And years of disciplining himself is what strengthened his relationship with God and built his intimacy and trust in him. And the result is that he was faithful when it was easy and he was faithful when he was faced with death. Church, my prayer is that you get it back. And that once you get it, the passion, the fire, the purity, the hunger for God, I pray that you will always keep it. See, I want to always walk closely with God, enjoying his consistent presence and direction. And if this is what you want too, if you're making that decision today saying, yes, I need to get it back, I need to move my two up to a 10, I need to move my eight to a 10, I believe you need to make these three prayers part of your daily prayer life because these prayers will help you keep it. The first prayer is God stretch me. Comfort is the enemy of faith. When you become comfortable and complacent in your relationship with God, you'll lose it. Complacency is the poison that pollutes passion. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Jesus pleaded with his followers in Mark 13, knowing that the time was short, reminding them to always be on guard and be alert. And that's why we want to ask God constantly to stretch us. Ask God to stretch you. He wants to. He wants you to live by faith, to believe him. Ask God to stretch you and follow his direction. He might direct you to change some priorities in your life. He might challenge you to go to a developing country and leave behind part of your heart. He might ask you to give like you've never given before. He might lead you to do something your closest friends believe is foolish and impossible. He might introduce you to someone who will rock your comfortable world or maybe a lost person who desperately needs Jesus. Let him stretch you. Attempt what others say can't be done. You have more in you than you realize. God has put more in you than anyone else sees. Ask God to stretch you. And as you do, you might find that you're finding it again. And the second thing you need to pray is, God, ruin me. On Sunday, October 8th, 1871, D.L. Moody was finishing 
his Sunday sermon in the evening when the city fire began to ring. Realizing that much of the city was burning, Moody's first concern was for his family. So rushing, close to cl- uh, rushing to close his sermon, he asked the people to evaluate their standing with God and return the next week. But little did he know, many of them would never return. They died in the worst fire in Chicago's history. Later, Moody agonized, wondering whether any of the deceased had died without Christ. They were in his church building, and he let them leave without confronting their sin. Broken and changed, Moody vowed to God that he'd never hold back again, that every time he stood before a crowd, he pled with them to follow Jesus. D.L. Moody was ruined in a very good way. Has God ruined you lately? Has he wrecked you in a good way? Allow God to break your heart. Allow him to give you divine discontent. Let God crush you with a burden. As I reflect on seasons in my life when I've lived without it, I remember God trying to ruin me, but I fought it off. I I was good at building walls. In 2006, just before buying my home, I went on a three-week missions trip to Africa. And when I came back, I did everything I could to protect myself from what I had seen and witnessed. I bought everything I could to ensure that I had control over my life, that, that I was comfortable, And that's when I bought the house. I bought a new car. I went to the mall and dropped crazy amounts on clothes and random things. Because I was trying to show myself that I was in control of my life, that I had it good. But you see, it was then bringing in the new year of 2007 that God opened my eyes to the brokenness around me, and he ruined me. He broke me. And my life has never been the same. Like the prophet Isaiah, we are of more use to God when we are ruined. You see, in Isaiah 6, it was the year King Uzziah died. Because King Uzziah had been such a godly and influential king, it felt like the year the, the, year the world as we knew it ended. In the worst time Isaiah could imagine, he saw the Lord and he got it. Verse 5 records his thoughts when he experienced the pure presence of God. He cried, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah was never the same. He had experienced God. The encounter squashed him flat, squeezed out all his pride, emptied him of self-ambition, but now he was suitable for God's purpose, for the greatest fulfillment Isaiah could ever find. You see, he was fully available to God, and when God asked who he should send with a message to his people, Isaiah blurted out, here am I, send me. Friends, if you want to keep it, ask God to ruin you. Expose yourself to something that will move you, Don't shrink back. Don't fight your emotions. Don't lay another brick atop the self-made walls of protection. 
Give in to the heart. Feed the hurt. Let it grow. Let it bother you. Invite it to overtake you. Life is short, but eternity is real. So while you're praying for God to stretch you and ruin you, the third prayer is that he will heal you. You might be thinking, but I'm not sick. And yeah, maybe not physically. But if you're like most people I know, you have some wounds that God wants to heal. But before you can heal from it, you also have to admit it. So to make it easier on you, I'll go first. I'm an addict. And no, I'm not going to say a cheesy punchline like, I'm addicted to Jesus. The truth is, many of us are addicted. Some addictions are frowned upon. Others often go unmentioned. Some are even readily accepted. You might have one of the acceptable addictions, for example, people-pleasing, perfection, social media, working out, work. But for me, I had to think hard about how to word this one, but I'm addicted to dopamine. I'm addicted to the excitement of doing something new, of, of new experiencing, and, and constantly changing what I'm working on. Now, this isn't something I can take directly, like a food or a drug, but it's something that occurs naturally in our bodies when we experience something that increases our dopamine levels. And you might think, well, that's not a big deal, Kevin, but for me it is, and I'm fighting to overcome it, and here's why. This is how it affects me. I jump from one thing to the next. If I'm sitting down to spend time with God and I open his word and I'm going to spend some dedicated time to pray and I get a text message to go golfing, do you know where I'm going to be? <laughs> I have a lack of focus when this is getting out of control. It's so hard to zero in on this is what God wants of me. This is where I need to be. I have a lack of follow-through when this gets the best of me. In one of my staff evaluations a couple years ago, the advice was, keep your butt in the seat. That was what my boss told me. <laughs> because he knew that I had a tendency to get up and keep working on other things that would kind of feed the dopamine. The worst part is that it distracts me from what I ought to be doing spending time with God, being present in the moment to who's in front of me. So will you be honest with yourself for a moment? Do you have an area of your life that you need Jesus to heal? Do you constantly compare yourself with others on social media and perhaps you hate it when you do? Do you have a secret sin or a fantasy life? Are you overly critical and jealous do you feel like you're just not good enough? Call out to God. He is our ultimate healer. So I've shared with you three prayers that we need to be praying. And my challenge to you this morning is, are you willing to pray these prayers with me? Stretch me, ruin me, heal me. So as the worship team comes back up on stage, I'm going to pray over you this morning. And then as we respond in worship and song, we're actually going to have two prayer teams at the front. And I'm just going to invite you to come forward for prayer. If there's anything that we can just 
join you in prayer for healing, stretching, maybe to even be wrecked. As we respond in worship, I pray that you just ask God, what are you speaking to me this morning? Let me pray this over you. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart and recover your first love. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and the exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, and starvation so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. And may God bless you with the courage to cry out to him and ask him to stretch you, to ruin you, and to heal you. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen.